Here's Ingram driving. Throws it back to Kuz. Three-pointer. Foul and a bucket! A four-point play opportunity for Kyle Kuzma, who now has a new career high. That's how it sounded last night as the Lakers topped the Pistons 113-100. to They were fueled by a 41-point performance by Kyle Kuzma. That is a new career high. What's up, everybody? It's the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you Thursday afternoon. Delighted that you're tuned in. Hope your work week's going well and you're starting to wind it down. we got a packed show to go through today. We've got NFL coaches getting hired. We've got basketball to recap from last night, both at the pro and the college level. Plus, we got a new sport we're introducing to the sports pen. I will have UFC rising star Cody Stamen. He's a native of Sparta, Michigan. He's coming on my show here in the next few minutes, and we're going to get a look inside what makes him great and what's got him on the rise. But let's start with basketball, and let's go back to last night. We'll start out west in L.A. Lakers beat Detroit 113-100. to Man, Detroit really needed a win in this game. They really did. When are the Pistons going to start making some moves? They have great post play. Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, those are two all-NBA caliber posts. But when are they going to start getting some guard play? You can't tell me they're going to rely on Reggie Bullock and Bruce Brown Jr. to lead the team in the backcourt. Especially when your two post players aren't giving you the type of minutes that they need to to get a win. You know, Blake played 37 minutes last night. He got 16 points. He did not have a rebound. For as good of a power forward as Blake is, that's not acceptable to not have a rebound. He had six assists. He was playing the guard position better than about anybody on the Pistons team. He had a team-high six assists. Andre Drummond had 17 rebounds. That was a game-high, but he only had six points. The only other starter that finished in single digits in scoring was Bruce Brown Jr., your guard. 16 for Blake, 15 for Reggie Jackson, 13 for Reggie Bullock. That's not going to be enough to get it done. 15 for Galloway off the bench, 12 for Kennard. You need to make a move to get some guards if you're Detroit. Because this team is faltering right now. 17 and 22. They've lost three straight. They've lost eight of their last ten. They're ninth place in the Eastern Conference. They're still there. All you got to do is sneak into the playoffs, and that's where the magic happens. But you've got to start making some moves. What's the Detroit front office doing? Spinning their wheels, thinking things are going to fix themselves. You look at the Eastern Conference playoff picture right now, and there are three teams that are in the top eight that have losing records. If the season ended today, three sub-500 teams would make the postseason out of the East. That's Brooklyn in the sixth spot at 21-22, and 22, Miami in the seventh spot at 19-20, and 20, and Charlotte at 19-21 and 21, occupying the last spot. Charlotte has a game-and-a-half lead over Detroit. And you've got Orlando, Washington, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, and, of course, Cleveland, who is in dead last in the NBA with just eight wins. So the window's still there if you're Detroit. But you're faltering right now. You've got the reigning coach of the year you brought in. You got him for a steal. Okay, Toronto should never have let him go in the first place. That's its own issue. But you've got to give him pieces to work with. They've stayed healthy. Dwayne Casey said the biggest threat to the Pistons this year and last year was their health. They couldn't stay healthy, but the pieces were there. Now it appears that even though they are staying fairly healthy, the pieces aren't, in fact, there. You need better guard play for Detroit. You need to get out there and start making some moves. The window's not closed on this. I mean, you can finish above 500. You could finish maybe five games above 500, but you got to get it going now. Got to get it going now. It's a midway mark of the season. We're just about there, right at the midway tip. You had such optimism for this season, and now you're starting to trend backwards. Got to give the fans a reason to be excited. Got to start making some moves. I want to see the front office get out there and get a guard who can score. You don't have to get a forward who can score. You've got big men who can score, but you need some kind of guard play. You need an upgrade from Jackson Kennard, and Bruce Brown Jr. You need to upgrade there if you're Detroit. Okay, you've got a shot not only to get into the playoffs, it's not going to be some pseudo-victory where you waste money and just get into the playoffs as kind of a consolation prize and then get bounced in the first round. This Pistons team has tools that they could potentially win a series. 
if the Pistons get a guy who can handle the ball and who can score, get an upgrade in their backcourt, why couldn't the Detroit Pistons win at least one series in the postseason this year? Especially the way the Eastern Conference looked. Why couldn't they win at least one series? Why couldn't the Pistons finish in that five or six spot in the regular season? Why couldn't Detroit, with a quality guard, somebody in the backcourt who can light it up? They are one piece away because a lot of these games, they're right there. And they're in a lot of these ball games because they got talent. But you need that floor general to supplement them. You need that kind of guy who's going to be like Chris Paul, someone of that caliber. You need a star guard. Doesn't even have to be a veteran, but a guy who can put the ball in the basket. Detroit's got some moves to be made. And I'm surprised the front office isn't acting on this quicker than we'd have liked. Detroit's right there. They're in an enviable spot for a team that would be on the outside looking in. I don't think you ever envy a spot where you're on the outside looking in. But if there is a spot, it might be Detroit. Because they've got pieces there to make a run. I, just, I think a lot of you feel they are one piece away. And that probably starts with a guard who can make buckets. You need to find that type of score in your backcourt if you're Detroit. Because you're right there. You can be a playoff team. You could even be a playoff team that wins a series. You really could. I know that top four in the Eastern Conference is going to be stacked. I know Indiana will make it interesting, whoever gets that five seed. But why couldn't Detroit be the six? You can't tell me that Brooklyn is a better team than Detroit Pistons right now. I still think the Pistons are better than Brooklyn. Aside from Kemba Walker, I still think they're better than Charlotte. Detroit can run with a lot of these teams at the top. Okay, but they need another piece. And then they're going to run past them. Detroit needs one more piece in their backcourt to become a legit contender for an Eastern Conference playoff spot. Maybe even win a series depending on the matchup. Case in point, last night's game against the Lakers. Detroit had no one score more than 16 points, and yet they still got to the century mark. They still got 100. They're playing a team that's without the best player in basketball. LeBron James still out. And aside from Kyle Kuzma, the Lakers didn't have anybody score more than 20 points. But Kyle Kuzma was enough. Because Kyle Kuzma decided to go off and have the night of his life and score 41 points on 16 of 24 shooting, 5 of 10 from behind the arc, 4 of 6 at the free throw line. He does all of that in 29 minutes. Kyle Kuzma had the night of his life last night. Kyle Kuzma is not going to turn in that type of effort night in and night out. I'm not saying it was a fluke. I think we all knew all along that he was going to be better than Lonzo Ball, who had five points, five boards, although a team-high 11 assists to his credit last night. Josh Hart is the most consistent player on that team besides LeBron, but last night was an off night for him. 2.7 boards, no assist for a guy in your backcourt. But the Lakers got that win because they can do what the Pistons can. They can step up and fill where there's a vacancy. You almost think this Laker team is better without LeBron. Some of their more impressive games this year have come without LeBron. Think back to Christmas where they beat Golden State. They thrashed Golden State without LeBron for the majority of that game. Last night, they get Kyle Kuzma to step up, take charge. Still have relatively young players, only been in the league a couple of years but he looked like a veteran. I'm not saying it was a fluke game for Kyle Kuzma. I'm saying it was the night of his life because he stepped up to the challenge. And he's capable of being a quality NBA player. The Pistons don't have a guy like LeBron. And they play like that. They don't have that go-to score that can handle the ball. They've got post players that can handle the ball well for post players. But you don't want your post players handling the ball any more than you need to. That's just basketball 101. They need that guy in the backcourt they can turn to, they can rely on. LeBron's a good enough ball handler, despite his size, the position he plays as a forward, until the Bucks make that move and bring somebody in the backcourt who can put the biscuit in the basket, things aren't going to turn around. They're going to keep spinning their wheels. Before we get up against a break, I want to go to the Bucks last night because they had an impressive win taking down Houston. 116 to 109. 
So Milwaukee maintains the best record in the NBA at 29-11. They shut down a red-hot Houston team, or maybe just a red-hot James Harden, and they didn't exactly shut him down. 42 points, 11 boards for Harden. James Harden right now is the best offensive player in the NBA. Last night, he tied the second-longest 30-point streak since the NBA and the ABA emerged. Right now, James Harden is on an absolute tear. And Milwaukee did enough to overcome that. A balanced effort. They had to get 37 minutes out of Giannis, but those were effective minutes. 27 points on 8 of 16 shooting, 21 boards. He had 14 free throw shots, and he made 11 of them. It's a pretty typical Giannis performance, no? The biggest weapon the Bucks have, their biggest advantage is their depth. Their ability to get contributions up and down the bench. Because it's not just Giannis contributing offensively. Scoring last night, Malcolm Brogdon started and got 24 points. 15 for Chris Middleton. 13 for Sterling Brown. 10 each for Bledsoe and Ilyasova. So they're getting contributions from everybody. And they're going deep into the bench night in and night out. That's the biggest weapon that Coach Bud has, is his depth. And he takes these mid-level players and he brings the best out of them. That's why Milwaukee's such a dangerous team, and that's why if the season ended right now, there would be no question who wins Coach of the Year. It's Mike Budenholzer. No question about it. Atlanta was wrong to let him go. Thought that from the beginning. I was glad to see him get a shot in Milwaukee, and I'm really glad to see things panning out for him because he is one of the top coaches in the NBA, and he doesn't get recognized nearly as often as he should. Houston, as good of a team as they are, 23-17, and 17, they've been figuring things out here as of late. They're not nearly as deep. They had Harden last night score his 42 points. But you look at the rest of the box score, they're pretty comparable to the Lakers last night and how they fared against the Pistons in their game. You had Harden score 42, Kyle Kuzma score 41 for their respective teams last night. Next highest score for the Lakers, it was Michael Beasley. He had 19. For the Rockets, it was Clint Capella. He had 18. So look at the two efforts. Compare how the two area teams' opponents did last night. You had the Rockets score 109 in a losing effort. The Lakers score 113 in a winning effort. Rockets high score, 42 points, next highest, 18. Lakers high score, 41 points, next highest, 19. One of them won, one of them lost. The difference in those two scores being depth. Depth is something that the Bucs have and they're rich with. They have a surplus of depth. They are abundant in depth. Pistons are not. Pistons need to get deeper. The Bucs are laying out a formula for how to beat teams, even if somebody goes off and has a career night. Even if somebody scores 40 and you hold everybody else below 20, you can still win that ball game because you've got scores up and down the bench because the Bucks front office has put themselves in a position to win. They take guys like Giannis, like Chris Middleton, like Bledsoe, and they complement their stars by bringing in bench guys who can provide depth. The Pistons have not done that around Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, and they need to do that. And I want the Pistons to do that. I'm sure a lot of you want the Pistons to do that. They need to look at the formula the Bucks have laid out for them and follow it. Because until that depth changes for Detroit, nothing will. Nothing will. It all starts with how deep they are on the bench and how deep Dwayne Casey can go night in and night out. We're up against a break. We'll switch over to UFC. When we come back, I've got Cody Stamen on the phone line. He'll be joining me next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. We're joined by one of the newest up-and-comers in UFC that's Cody Stamen, Sparta, Michigan native. Cody, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Help my listeners get to know a little more about you because you're somebody who's on the rise this year, and if they haven't heard of you now, they're going to be hearing a lot more about you here in the next few months. 
Well, you know, I would tell people the best way to kind of get me get to know me better would be through social media. Uh, you can follow me at Cody Stamen, uh, last name S T A M A N N. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You know, I post a lot at daily. Uh, so you get to know uh, a little bit more about my training, a little bit more about you know who I am outside of the outside of the cage too. Um, and obviously, you know, the more you can relate to somebody, you know, the uh, the funner it is to watch them fight. Well, Cody, you got off to a fantastic start record-wise, and uh, you come in ranked 11th at the Bantam level in the uh, UFC rankings as of December 12th of last year. Tell me about your career early on, how things have been going for you inside the ring. It has gone well. I mean, obviously, inside the cage, you know, anything can happen. There's a million ways to lose in MMA. Uh, a little bit different than boxing in that way. Uh, you know, guys in MMA don't necessarily have... Uh, squeaky clean perfect record especially against the top you know there's just there's too many ways to lose but i've been pretty fortunate to uh to come out on top uh in almost all my fights um relatively injury free obviously not completely injury free but um the guys i fought always look a lot worse than me well early on you were getting some pretty big names in your fights i mean how how did a lot of those come about were they something where they reached out to you just kind of came your way or did you have to reach out to schedule a few of those so uh you know in mma a lot lot of the guys you're gonna fight uh can be kind of the the noise that you make leading up to the fight so for me you know getting those big fights early in my ufc and in my mma career uh it was me just kind of coming out and challenging guys that that, you know, maybe had a little bit more credibility, uh, a little bit more clout, um, a little more experience than I did. Um, I was just confident in my abilities and my hard work. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I went after those guys, and that's kind of how I've uh, risen as fast as I have. Cody, tell me about Michigan Top Team and what they've done to prepare you and build you into the fighter you are. So Michigan Top Team is a, is a gym that I started with two other guys. Uh, you know, our whole goal was just to, have a good place in Michigan for guys to train and get better. Uh, you know, most guys really jump ship, end up in California, Vegas, Florida, uh, you know, they end up in the big MMA hub. But a lot of us really like Michigan. We care about Michigan. And uh, we wanted to build something here. And so we did that. Michigan Top Team's been that gym. We've been able to, you know, put a lot of guys in the UFC, have guys be at the highest level, and, you know, I'm one of those guys. Talking with Cody Stamen, an up-and-comer in UFC, currently ranked 11th at the Bantamweight division. Cody, how about your background? You wrestled at the Division II level at Grand Valley State. Tell me how that all developed you into the fighter you are today. So I think, you know, wrestling for me, uh, it's it's the best base for MMA. Wrestling has been, you know, I think the foundation of my, my fighting career. But also, uh, you know, my boxing experience coming into MMA, you know, put me ahead of a lot of other guys. Uh, you know, having both, uh, stand up and wrestling experience, uh, before I started, you know, actually training in MMA, I was least involved ahead of everyone else, and that kind of gave me, uh, a platform that I needed to, to go higher than they did. What led you to want to become a fighter? Was it something that you always knew you wanted to pursue? No, you know, I, I actually had no intentions of being a, a fighter. You know, I'd always, I always, I grew up, I was an athlete. I played a lot of different sports. Um, I really liked to compete. Um, you know, after school, I, you know, throughout college uh, and, you know, right out of high school, I started training in MMA, and I really, really enjoyed it. I loved the sport. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, during that time, the sport kind of started to grow, you know, exponentially. It started to become uh, like a like a mainstay, but when guys started to make, you know, a decent living as, as fighters, um, you know, so when I, when I graduated from school, I, uh, I kind of had a choice, uh, you know, I could, uh, you know, take over the family business or, uh, you know, try my hand at, at MMA. And I told myself, you know, I, I would try it for a couple of years and if it didn't work out, you know, no sweat. Um, the problem was, you know, once you start this lifestyle, uh, being an athlete, it's really hard to live any other way. Um, so, you know, after I, after I competed a couple of years, I'd done okay. I still wasn't in the UFC. I wasn't, you know, an elite level athlete yet. Uh, you know, but I had way too much invested to, to just quit. And so, uh, you know, I kind of saw it through and, uh, you know, it's kind of paid off. I'm one of the best in the world now. 
Tell me about your fighting style. I see looking at your bio, you've got a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yep. So, I mean, to compete at the highest level, you kind of have to have uh, a really well-rounded game. You need to be good everywhere, you know, because there's so many guys uh, that compete in the sport now, and everyone's, you know, getting uh, more developed in every aspect of, of martial arts. So, uh, you know, from my feet all the way to my back, I believe, you know, I have skills that it takes to win a fight um you know not just being able to you know stand up with a guy kick a punch and you know knock him out but you know i can take people down i can defend takedowns i can beat guys up on the ground um i can fight everywhere and that's really where the next level of mma is at you need to be able to compete uh both on your feet and on the ground um you have to be well-rounded has there been any point in your career that stood out to you something that's been special that you can look back on and helps keep you going uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's been a few fights I thought were, like, turning points in my career. You know, one in particular was uh, a fight, you know, when I was really, really young. I think I was 4 and all. I fought a guy that, uh, you know, that really, I don't think anyone around me thought I was going to beat. Um, and kind of had a little doubt in my own mind, uh, just because everyone that was close to me was kind of, you know, didn't want me to take this fight. They were worried that, you know, this would be the guy that would, that would beat me. And, it, you know, taking a loss at young in my career would really mess me up. But, you know, I... I uh, I kind of rolled the dice, so to speak, uh, and, and went after this guy, uh, you know, in hindsight, maybe before I should have, uh, and I went out and knocked him out, and that was something that, that had never been done. He, you know, he beat everyone. Uh, he was undefeated in his career, and I, and I went out and knocked him out, and I did it pretty uh, decisively. You know, I, I, I beat him up the whole fight, and then, you know, that's kind of the point where I realized, okay, you know, I could really... I can really do something here. I can, I can compete with, with anybody in the sport. Um, you know, if I, just, if I just get my mind right and, you know, prepare the way I'm supposed to, you know, I, I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of people out there that can beat me. Cody, last thing before I let you go, what do you want your fans to know most about you? I guess, uh, you know, that I'm just a, I'm just a blue-collar uh, small-town kid, you know, from Sparta, Michigan. You know, I like to hunt fish. Uh, I like to do all the you know, Michigan stuff, but, you know, I, Eventually, uh, you know, everyone's going to know who I am, um, and uh, it's going to be because, uh, you know, I'm going to be a world champion in MMA. Cody, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for being on here. Looking forward to following your career. Wishing you all the best. Thank you. Appreciate it. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for being with us on Thursday afternoon. Here is your Sports Center update. The Washington Nationals are signing Brian Dozier to a one-year $9 million deal. The Milwaukee Brewers are signing Yasmani Grandal to a one-year $18.3 million deal. And to finish off with baseball in the Sports Center update, Cleveland Indians pitcher Trevor Bauer has been reported on Twitter by a Texas State University college student for getting into a Twitter fight with her over the weekend. And Trevor Bauer, the fireballer from Cleveland, who's known to be a little bit of a fireballer off the field as well, got into a Twitter exchange recently with a Texas State University senior after he responded to a tweet from Astros third baseman Alex Bregman. Bauer and Bregman each sent just one tweet to each other. The college student tagged Bauer and said that he was now her least favorite player in baseball. Bauer responded by tagging her in 40-plus tweets, saying that he was defending himself to her on Twitter. The student reportedly was brought to tears and felt bullied, decided to report Trevor Bauer on Twitter for his 40-plus tweets in which he tagged her. They blocked each other. They unblocked each other. They kept it going. The Indians declined to release a public statement, though they are aware of the issue the student's Twitter page has since been privacy protected. Trevor Bauer, on the other hand, nothing's been deleted. Everything's still up there. You can check it out if you want to. It's quite the read. His Twitter name is at Bauer Outage, B-A-U-E-R Outage. Nothing's been deleted. He's been blocking people. He's been responding to people since this occurred over the weekend. It's a trip. I tell you what, here's our question of the day. We're not going to put it on the poll. Let's keep it between us, but... Our question of the day is, Trevor Bauer, the Kevin Durant of MLB, 
a guy who's got great talent, one of the best players in the league, but he's got such thin skin. He just needs to know when it's time to log off, when it's time to let things be. I give Bauer credit. He called a lot of people out for using burner accounts during this whole exchange. I went on Twitter before I came on air here and saw the exchange, what have you. Didn't go through all of it because... I just couldn't. I don't have the time to scroll for 10 minutes, but plenty of times Bauer called others out for using burner accounts. We know how Kevin Durant loves using his burner accounts, so maybe they're different in that regard. But the thin skin, man, that transcends from NBA to MLB, whether you're Kevin Durant or you're Trevor Bauer. So that's your Sports Center update. We logged it with baseball, and again, there's only about 75 days until we throw the first pitch in the 2019 season. It seems so long from now. Seems even longer until we get college football back and we get to kick off a new season of NFL football for about 24 of the teams. We've got eight still playing, 24 of them are looking ahead to next year. We still got the draft to go through coming up in April, and we still got some head coaching vacancies to fill. They are being filled, though. The New York Jets last night decided on their next head coach. Right as we were signing off, someone changed Matt Rule's Wikipedia page to say that he is the new head coach in the New York Jets. Matt Rule, formerly the head coach at Temple, went on to Baylor. He brought that program from the ashes. Give him a ton of credit for the job he did. Then got a big win in the bowl game this year against Vanderbilt. A lot of people thought he would be moving on to the NFL. It looked like he might be going on to the Jets. But he went on Twitter just after someone changed his Wikipedia page to say that he was the new head coach of the Jets. He went on Twitter, dispelled those rumors, sent a message to the Baylor coaching staff. The Baylor Athletic Department did confirm that NFL teams had reached out to them about Rule. But as of now, it looks like Rule is going to be staying in Waco, Texas. And he will be the head coach of the Baylor Bears moving forward, particularly because the New York Jets have their guy. And they are bringing in Adam Case. He's not leaving the AFC East Division, but he's changing cities. He's heading up north to New York. Gase was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins for the past couple of years. Now he's heading up north to take the New York Jets job, replacing the fired Todd Bowles, who of course got hired on Tuesday as the defensive coordinator for Bruce Arians' Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So Gase, who got the Dolphins off to a 3-0 start this year, but their final three games ended with Miami getting blown out following the Miami Miracle, mind you he will be getting a new shot up in New York. At some point this season, people thought Gase could be coach of the year, that this could be the Dolphins team Miami's been waiting for. Now, obviously, that didn't turn out. So now Gase has a shot in New York. It's not a very desirable situation, I wouldn't think. I don't know what's so appealing about a job with the Jets. It's an NFL job, but as the window starts to wind down, was that really the best one that was still out there? Either way, Adam Gase has a new shot. And I like Adam Gase. He's an NFL caliber head coach. He's somebody that will be successful in the NFL. I'm glad to see that he got a new start somewhere. So Adam Gase is the new man for the New York Jets. It's like once the Packers got their man on Monday night, it was a domino effect. Once the first domino fell, all of them fell. And now those those jobs are starting to fill up. There's only two left right now. Still got to get a head coach for the Dolphins and still got to get one for Cincinnati. Let's track the NFL coaches and the jobs that have been filled so far, and we'll start in the NFC because right now all those jobs are full. It started in Green Bay when Matt LaFleur was officially hired to replace Mike McCarthy. That happened on Monday night, so Green Bay got their man with Matt LaFleur. Then, on Tuesday, Tampa Bay got Bruce Arians, and Arizona got Cliff Kingsbury. Dirk Cutter also found a new job. He is the new offensive coordinator in Atlanta. He replaces Steve Sarkeesian, and they have such a weird coaching situation going on there. Reports came out Dan Quinn was going to stay on as a defensive coordinator. Now it's looking like he could be the head coach going into next season. I don't know what's going on with Atlanta down there, and I don't know if they totally know either. So that's what it's looking like over in the NFC right now. Over in the AFC, Adam Gase was hired as the coach of the Jets last night. Prior to that, Freddie Kitchens, the offensive coordinator for Cleveland, was promoted to the head coach, and Greg Williams was let go. Denver made their decision yesterday as well as they brought in Vic Fangio, the Bears' defensive coordinator. They stick with the defensive-minded coach, and they bring in the guy who led the Monsters of the Midway this season. 
So you've got two head coaching vacancies left in the NFL, and you've got a couple of coordinators that still need to be filled. So where does Mike McCarthy go? Because he publicly stated that the only job he wanted was the New York Jets. I still think McCarthy should take a look at Cincinnati. I still think Mike McCarthy in Cincinnati makes a lot of sense. You would have a quarterback that still can win you some ball games with Andy Dalton. You find ways to develop him. You work with him, and he's willing to let you work with him. He didn't have that in Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not saying that was the right decision by Rodgers or not. Andy Dalton is at a stage where he knows he's got the tools to be an NFL quarterback, but he needs help to bring it to fruition. That's where Mike McCarthy could help, because McCarthy has a lot to offer somebody if they're willing to take his help. Aaron Rodgers wasn't, and I'm not saying that was right or wrong, but McCarthy has won a Super Bowl. And maybe just getting a fresh pace, a new change of scenery will be a good thing for him. Yeah, I still think that going to Cincinnati where he's got some weapons there, where they could potentially be effective early on, Joe Mixon running the ball, A.J. Green is a wideout, there's still some reason to be optimistic about the Cincinnati job. I would think that one would be more attractive than Miami right now. For one thing, you don't have to play Tom Brady and Bill Belichick twice a year. So I'd still like to see McCarthy throw his hat in the ring somewhere, particularly in Cincinnati. Now, who would be good for the Miami job? Well, first of all, what is it that you're looking for in a head coach? Denver based their hire on a coach's ability to scheme defenses. They did it with Vance Joseph. They're doing it again with Vic Fangio. Arizona wanted a coach who has the ability to scheme offenses and develop quarterbacks. That's why they brought in Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who had a losing record in college after six years. But let me introduce a new process of thought. I'm not even saying that I believe in this. I just want to get you thinking a little bit. I want to stir the pot just a little bit. I'm not saying I don't believe it. I'm not saying I believe it either. But what if it doesn't matter if you're an offensive guy or a defensive guy? doesn't matter what kind of scheme you have what if what matters more than how you scheme on one side of the ball is how good of a leader you are what if that's the reason that Cliff Kingsbury could pan out in the NFL better than Matt LaFleur because Cliff Kingsbury has been a head coach before Matt LaFleur has not maybe Matt LaFleur is a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury but Cliff Kingsbury has experience as a head coach. In the NFL especially, culture dominates a locker room. Culture reigns supreme. It's not like baseball where you can plug guys into different positions. You can plug guys into a lineup. There are numbers on a lineup card. In the NFL, you need somebody who's going to design a culture. Bill Belichick has done that better than anybody in the NFL. He's doing that in New England. Pete Carroll has done a great job of that over in Seattle. You develop a culture in that locker room, and that matters more in the NFL than it does in any other league. And Cliff Kingsbury has experience doing that, unlike guys like Matt LaFleur, guys who haven't been head coaches before. Cliff Kingsbury established a culture at Texas Tech. Now, maybe it wasn't a winning culture, but there's things you can gain from not doing it right the first time. Kingsbury learns from his mistakes. You can bet there are going to be some things that he did at Texas Tech when he first took over that he's not going to do with the Arizona Cardinals because he's learned from it. He's had those rookie years getting those mistakes out of the way and learning what flies, what doesn't in a football locker room. Matt LaFleur hasn't had that chance. I'm not saying Matt LaFleur isn't going to pan out or that Matt LaFleur isn't as good of a coach as Cliff Kingsbury because I think both of them are going to do really well in their spots. But just how much does leadership account for an NFL head coach and how successful he'll be? Remember a few months ago when the Browns were reportedly going to interview Condoleezza Rice for their head coaching vacancy? Now here I'm really going to stir the pot. I'm not going to say that I believe this, but let's just think. Play devil's advocate. What if they truly wanted a leader to set the tone, to set a culture for a squad doesn't have to be an offensive genius or a defensive guru what if you just need a leader Condoleezza Rice was the Secretary of State 
She's led from the White House. She has led among some of the greatest diplomats in the world. As a football culture, have we brainwashed ourselves into thinking that the only guys who can be NFL head coaches are, first of all, men, second of all, coordinators, or college coaches? I'm not saying Condoleezza Rice should be an NFL head coach. But do we put too much emphasis on what scheme a coach can bring and not enough on the leadership that they bring to the table? Because you look at what one rookie head coach in this year's NFL has done, and you can't deny that his leadership outshines his schemes, and his success this year backs that up. And he was probably the least attractive pick for last year's head coaching vacancies. His original team didn't even want him. They had somebody else before Josh McDaniels backed out of the job. I'm talking about Frank Reich. Frank Reich is not a schemer. Frank Reich is a leader. Frank Reich led the Indianapolis Colts this year from a 1-5 start, and now they're one of the hottest. I think they are the hottest team as we enter the divisional weekend of the NFL playoffs. Frank Reich instills a culture. He gets his guys to trust the process. Frank Reich is the epitome of your high school coach who says, we are going to grow consistently. Even if just a 1% growth every day, we are going to keep growing until we're where we want to be. And the Colts were 1-5 again to start this season. And now they're in the playoffs. Now they're the most red-hot team in the postseason. And they have a shot, a real shot, at taking down the juggernaut Kansas City Chiefs this weekend. They're going to have to play a near-perfect game but if that's a one-possession game going into the fourth quarter and there's a key turnover, something like that, Colts will have a shot to win that game. Coming into this year, do you think anybody could have told you what Frank Reich likes to do offensively, what defensive schemes that he's trusted in the past? The only thing people could tell you is that he's a leader. And that's what he's done this year. So it's not just a cliche, 1% increment growths. He makes you believe it. And he turns that cliche into reality. And he takes a 1-5 season, and he makes it a playoff run. He's got these guys believing. They're out there. They're trusting each other. And I'm having fun. And to me, that's the most important thing. And the fact that we, we, we get to go play another game in the playoffs and see what we can do, that's, that's stinking awesome. That's stinking awesome. Every soundbite from Andrew Luck is stinking awesome. He is the most pure pro athlete, I swear. If life were an episode of Cheers, Andrew Luck is Woody Boyd. He's having fun in the playoffs, even though he doesn't get to spend it with his best friend, Jack Doyle. We are up against a break. We'll take our last time out. We'll come back. We'll break down the NFL playoffs coming up this weekend. All that and more. Stick with us in the sports pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen lives here on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you Thursday afternoon. Here is your Sports Center update. Olivier Vernon will replace Khalil Mack in the Pro Bowl. Mack had an ankle injury that was lingering throughout the back end of the season. Chose to play through it in the playoffs, although he will sit out the Pro Bowl in Orlando. Vernon missed the first five games of the season due to an injury, but recorded seven sacks in 11 games. He is one of four Pro Bowl selections for the Giants this year, along with running back Saquon Barkley and kicker Aldrich Rojas. Safety Landon Collins will miss the Pro Bowl due to an injury. Columbus Blue Jackets goaltender Sergei Bobrovsky did not travel with the team to Nashville. The team stated that Bobrovsky is suspended indefinitely for an undisclosed incident and has not released any further details. And finally, the Westwood High School swim meet at Houghton, scheduled for January 15th, has been rescheduled to January 22nd. We went double dips on your Sports Center update here in this hour. Hope you don't mind. Glad again to have you along as we wind down the clock closer to the 5 o'clock hour on this Thursday afternoon, early January. Tanner Hoops in studio with you. Don't forget, tomorrow we have our Friday Coaches Show. You'll hear from area coaches from all five Marquette County schools. That plays at 3 and 5, sandwiching tomorrow's sports pen. In case you missed the show, as always, you can hear it in the on-demand section of our free mobile app, which you can get from the Apple iStore or Google Play. 
All right, coming up, we're going to speculate on the NFL divisional round playoff games this weekend. But first, Kyler Murray and the saga going on with him. The Oakland Athletics released a statement saying they do expect Murray to enter the NFL draft. However, they aren't worried about him playing in the NFL. They still think that he is going to play baseball professionally. Although, one NFL GM has stated somebody will actually pick Kyler Murray in the first round. No doubt Murray has first-round talent. He may be the first quarterback taken overall if he were to go into the NFL draft with a football career in mind. But will somebody waste a first-round pick on a guy who's made it clear that he's going off to play baseball? Probably a longer career. He can make more money, less injury. Kyler Murray's made it clear that he wants to go play baseball. He's already been drafted ninth overall by the Oakland Athletics in the MLB draft but he could still enter the NFL draft and just not be obligated to play if somebody picked him. Will somebody take the chance and pick Kyler Murray? Could Kyler Murray play in the NFL? Here's what we know about Kyler Murray. He's explosive offensively. Every team that he's on, he lights up scoreboards for. He's 5'11". That might be people's biggest complaint about him as a football player. That might be their biggest reservation about Kyler Murray in the NFL. Can a guy who's 5'11 play at the quarterback position in the National Football League? Well, Drew Brees is six feet tall, and he's done it very well for a long time. But how many Drew Breeses are out there? I don't think there are any others. I think Drew Brees is one of his own. There are still shorter guys who can play in the NFL. You don't have to be 6'5 Cam Newton to be an NFL quarterback. Doug Flutie proved that. But you look at these guys that are six feet or under and how many of them have panned out to be successful quarterbacks. It's hard to think of more than Drew Brees or Doug Flutie. That's not to say Kyler Murray couldn't do it, especially now. This day and age would probably be the most favorable for a quarterback who is six feet tall or less. Because you look at how the game has changed. Five years ago, I don't know if Kyler Murray could play in the NFL. Right now, I think he could. Because the rules are changing to benefit offenses. Defenses can still win your ball games in the NFL, no doubt, especially as you get later in the year. But the rules are changing to benefit offenses. And if Kyler Murray were thinking about playing football professionally, this would be his window of opportunity to do it. 5 feet 11, he can light up offenses. That's what the NFL is looking for. That's what the NFL wants. They don't necessarily want a tall quarterback who... You wonder if they can see over their offensive line. They want a guy who can put up points, and he's done that so far at Oklahoma. There's a lot of reason to think his game can translate to the NFL. So could Kyler Murray play in the NFL? I think he could. And I think right now would be the best time, if any, that there was a guy of his stature to be able to play in the NFL. Could you imagine if Drew Brees came into the NFL as a rookie right now? Drew Brees would be putting up Probably even better numbers than he is right now. And he's on track to be a Hall of Famer, easily. But could you imagine if Drew Brees came in the NFL right now? He's not as athletic, maybe, as Kyler Murray. It's hard to find anybody who is. But he's one of the best passers of all time, if not the best. And he paved the way for guys that don't have necessarily the height you want in a prototype NFL quarterback. He's shown that you can make it in this league. You cannot only make it, you can be an NFL Hall of Famer because he's en route to Canton. But if Drew Brees was a rookie and coming into the league right now, if he was in Kyler Murray's position, could you imagine the numbers that Drew Brees would be putting up? What his completion percentage would be? How many touchdowns he would pass for? Drew Brees in this type of an offensive league? If he were still a rookie, still in his early 20s with his prime ahead of him. It's insane to think about. So let me turn you on to this thought process. What if Kyler Murray is like a more athletic version of Drew Brees? About the same height, much younger. We know we can pass, maybe not as well as Brees, but nobody can pass as well as Drew Brees. He's still a pretty good passer, and he's more athletic. Could Kyler Murray have a better career in the NFL if he played football professionally than Drew Brees. 
Could Kyler Murray be the next Drew Brees, maybe with a few more rushing yards? Why couldn't he be? They have similar body types, similar builds. Would he be more comparable to Doug Flutie? Could you compare Kyler Murray and Doug Flutie? Because what if Doug Flutie came in the NFL right now? What if Doug Flutie played in today's NFL? Is it conceivable to think that Flutie, Breeze, and Murray are all pretty comparable with their offensive abilities, but that one of them is coming into the league when it's at its offensive peak? And to think that one of them is going to have his prime, he's going to experience his NFL prime during one of the highest offensive eras in league history? Would it not be conceivable to speculate that Kyler Murray could end up being a more athletic version of Drew Brees and Doug Flutie who can put up higher offensive numbers? It makes you wonder, maybe Kyler Murray should reconsider and go out for NFL football. Baseball, he's going to be a great player, no doubt. He is a great player. Baseball, he'll have a long career. Less injury, might make more money. But football, if you're thinking about being one of the greatest of all time, if you want to be one of the greatest players of all time, Kyler Murray might have a better shot doing that playing professional football rather than professional baseball. Either way, it's a great problem to have if you're a guy like that. Do I go make millions in the MLB? Do I go make millions in the NFL? Do I become a legend in one? Do I become a superstar in the other? It's a good problem to have. I think if we were all Kyler Murray, we'd all be pretty happy if that was our biggest worry right now. All right, NFL Divisional Playoff Weekend. Let's break down the four matchups coming up this weekend because there should be some really good ones. The afternoon game on Saturday. This might be the game to watch. Indianapolis visiting Kansas City. The line has the Chiefs as six-point favorites. For me, this is the toughest one to pick. And I promise myself I'm going to wait until tomorrow, until Friday, to make my prediction. Because Indianapolis can win this ball game. They have to do a lot of things right. They're playing better football than anybody else entering the postseason. Indianapolis can win this ball game on the road. Andrew Luck has got to get the offense moving. He's done that here as of late. Can he do it in a place like Arrowhead? Arrowhead Stadium is probably going to be more effective and detrimental to the Indianapolis offense than the Kansas City defense will. Eric Berry missed practice yesterday. Still trying to work his way back. He's a guy they need back in the lineup. The Chiefs are going to want to get into a shootout. The Colts are going to have to control time possession and pace of play, and they can certainly do that. Marlon Mack has emerged as a capable running back. Andrew Luck is a general. I know he's captain on Twitter, Captain Andrew Luck, but he's a field general when he's out there. And the best way to beat Patrick Mahomes is to not let him have the football. You've got to control time possession. And they have the offensive line to do it. I don't know who's a better offensive lineman than Quentin Nelson this year. Who's been a more valuable offensive lineman than the Indianapolis left guard, the first-year player out of Notre Dame? Their offensive line might be the best in all of football this year. That's what's going to give them a chance to beat Kansas City on Saturday. The nightcap. The L.A. Rams seven-point favorites at home against the Dallas Cowboys. If this game was played in Jerry World, I might pick Dallas. I might see advantage Dallas for this game. You have two of the best running backs, if not the best running backs in the NFL, going up against each other. Ezekiel Elliott against Todd Gurley. The matchup is going to be who can be more effective with their stud running back. Because you have two quarterbacks going up against each other, I'm not entirely sold on between Jared Goff and Dak Prescott. I'm not sold on either of those guys. The offensive line is going to have to come through big for each of them, give those running backs room to work, and then the defense. And I'm tempted to say Dallas's defense could be better just in the sense that they're playing hotter right now. L.A. has a better defensive line. Dallas probably has the best linebacker core of any team left in the playoffs. So which defense is going to step up? You know what you're going to get out of both running backs. We probably know what we're going to get out of both quarterbacks 
But which defense is going to be better between Dallas and L.A. on Saturday night? That'll be who decides the winner. We go to Sunday's games, and these two were the easiest two to pick for me. They weren't easy, but they were the easiest. L.A. Chargers at New England. That's the early game on Sunday. I want the Chargers to win this game. I do, and I think if there's any time for them, this would be it. Phillip Rivers is playing some of his best football of his career, even as he gets into the twilight of his career. But they don't go into Foxborough and beat Tom Brady, especially after the second half that they played last week. Phillip Rivers has never beaten the Patriots when Tom Brady started. 0-7 against TB12. And I don't think that changes on Sunday. I'm going with New England. They're four-point favorites. I think they're going to go over that. Then the afternoon game, Philadelphia visiting New Orleans. Philly is one of the hottest teams in football, but they probably shouldn't have won against Chicago on Sunday night. They probably shouldn't be here, in all honesty. Philly wasn't overly impressive on Sunday night. They put up 16 points. I know they were in Chicago. They were against a good defense, but they didn't score a touchdown until early in the third quarter, and that was aided by a couple of defensive penalties. They were a timeout, and a partially blocked field goal away from losing that game. So Philadelphia, yeah, they did a lot to get in, and Nick Foles has a lot of magic, but does he have enough magic to grit out a win in the Superdome? I don't think so. Not against the way that New Orleans has played this year. New Orleans is eight-point favorites. I think that's about right. I'm going to go just under that eight-point line. Right now, the Saints are eight-point favorites. I think it's going to be six or seven. We'll go with the touchdown. I'm picking New Orleans by a touchdown. I'll say this, though. I think that Eagles-Saints game will be the NFC Championship in its own way. Because if the Eagles win, I don't think there's any stopping them. They're too red hot at this point. They've been playing good football. They shouldn't be here, but they are. The Bears beating Minnesota in Week 17 was essentially a bad win because... They didn't need to win that game. They could have rested their starters. They knew that the Rams had a big lead by the time that they took the field. They weren't playing for anything. That win ended up costing them their season because by beating Minnesota in Week 17, they allowed Philly into the playoffs, and then Philly beat Chicago, ended their season. If there's such thing as a bad win, it was the Bears win over the Vikings in Week 17. We are out of time. As always, appreciate you tuning in here on My Hour. Hope to have you again tomorrow. Don't forget the action starts at 3 with our coaches show. Then I'm on for the sports pen at 4, and then we'll play our coaches show back at 5. If you missed any of today's show or any show, you can hear it on demand in the on-demand section of our app. Be sure to get it from the Apple iStore or Google Play. That's it for me, Tanner Hoops, on ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen. We'll see you tomorrow.